Hey everyone, and welcome to the Capitalize for Kids podcast, where we interview Canadian leaders in business and philanthropy. On this episode, we speak with Paul Demery III. Paul is the grandson of a Canadian business magnate who founded one of Canada's most powerful corporations, the not so ironically named PowerCorp. Much like his father and grandfather, Paul has forged his own path forward. As the executive chairman of Portage Ventures, Paul made a massive bet on Wealthsimple, one of the few financial brands that have been able to tap into the millennial market here in Canada. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Going into the family business. Yes. What was that like from a, just like a, a personal level? Like, were yeah. you pressure? How did you feel? Was it intense? You know, I mean, I- I was a little scared, to be honest, because, you know, you go from being independent and, you know, having a very clear barrier between work and family to all of a sudden being in a world where it's completely blurred uh, and where, you know, everything is, you know, that much more intense because it's not only your boss, but it's your family. Uh, and, and so that was scary. Also, you, you know, I was worried when I joined that I was not going to be able to have an impact uh, and I wasn't going to be able to move the needle. And uh, that was a big, big fear of mine because, you know, I'd, I'd come from a world where I'd always been given projects and those projects had a beginning and an end and an execution and, you know, you either succeeded or you didn't and it was very clear what you'd done and what impact you'd had and, you know, what, you know, the reward was for that. And here, you know, was joining an environment where I wasn't really sure what role I was going to be able to have because we're not an operating holding. We, we have, you know, investments and we sit on a lot of their boards and fundamentally I wasn't certain I was going to be able to have the impact that I was hoping to have in my life, uh, you know, just sitting on these boards. How would you describe PowerCore? Yeah, so we do really three things. We own large financial services companies, Great West Life Co. Investors Group, which then own a series of other financial service companies. We have a large investment in a European holding name, Group Bruxelles Lambert, which owns large chunks of companies like Adidas, Lafarge, Pernod Ricard, SGS, Imerus, the mining company I worked at. We have, and then third is we have a series of funds. We have a series of funds that invest across various sectors. Um, we have a Power Energy, which is an alternative uh, investment vehicle. We have Cigar China, where we have a QFI license to trade Shanghai listed shares. We have Cigar France, which is a middle market private equity fund in France. And then we have Cigar Holdings, which I run here in North America, which does private equity, public equity, and private debt. Uh, and so those are basically the three buckets of things that we do at at power. Amazing. So, so you come into this organization with already very well established. You mentioned, you know, you're kind of across the spectrum in terms of industries, asset classes, yeah. and, and you're a little bit concerned about impact. Yes. So how did you, you know, define impact for yourself yeah. and how have you since tried to carve that out and, and, and create that impact? Yeah. So I would say for me, impact is about creation. It's about building things. Um, and it's about building things that, you know, compound value for the shareholders of Power Corporation, uh, which include our family. And ultimately, the way that I saw, you know, myself as being able to, to do that 
is in two buckets. Is um, one is I took over the operations of Cigar Holdings, um, and we uh, took a strategy that had historically been entirely kind of proprietary capital, and we've started raising outside capital around those strategies. And so we're about to close a you know five hundred million dollar private debt fund. Uh, which will be the first time in North America that the holding raises a significant amount of outside capital uh, to pursue an investment strategy. We will most likely launch more strategies like that in the coming years uh, to scale that business over time. Uh, the other place that you know I believe I've had an impact is, and that came about a little bit more, you know, through luck, uh, is that. The CEO of Power Financial, Jeffrey Orr, felt that someone needed to lead the fintech uh, efforts internally. He'd been hearing that you know there was a lot of opportunity in the space, but didn't find that there, we had the resources at the holdings to really kind of take charge of that and really lead that effort. And so he named me in a way, you know, the head of fintech, um, and we started that relationship by making a significant investment in Wealthsimple. Um, and then from there, we ended up founding Portage uh, and Diagram, which is our incubator. And now we are one of the top 20 fintech investors in the world in terms of activity and in certain sectors of fintech, the most important investors globally. So to, to focus on the, on the second bucket, the fintech piece. Yes. So in three years, three and a half years, call it. Yes. You guys have, have been probably the most significant investor in fintech. Yes. In, in, Can in Canada, yes. In, in the Canadian in fintech Canada. space. And one of the most active globally, but that's a number of deal counts rather than dollars. So, so how do you go from, all right, we need somebody Zero to investigate to this, yeah, to yeah. the biggest player in the space? You know, by attracting great people. And so our team is probably one of the top teams globally. It's a team of entrepreneurs. It's a team, you know, Adam Faleski, prior to leading this business, uh, built Horizons ETF, uh, which, you know, was the second largest ETF player in the country. Um, you know, members of the team like Stefan Klee, who's our CFO, was the CFO of Tangerine Bank. Uh, Nick Hungerford, who represents us in Asia, was the founder and CEO of Nutmeg, which is the largest robo-advisor in the UK. Uh, so the team is a very, very, very strong team that's very dynamic, very entrepreneurial, and is able to attract great talent. And so talent attracts talent, and talent creates results. And so, and so you put this team behind you, mm -hmm. and how does, for the, what might be the most recognized investment from Portage's uh, Wealthsimple, as you yes. mentioned. So how does that get to be? How do you, yeah. you know, give me, can you give me kind of a background story on how you, you know, get introduced to Wealthsimple, yeah. how you make the decision there, how that relationship develops? Yeah. So actually, again, luck played a really big role in the Wealthsimple introduction, where, you know, I was at the art fair, at the Toronto Art Fair, and a guy named J.F. Corville, who worked at RBC at the time, introduced me to a guy named Sam Safe. And Sam uh, and I had lunch and had a meeting of the minds on how we th thought the industry was going to evolve. And you know, walked down the street to go visit Weld Simple. And then Mike Katchen and I connected, and you know, we really hit it off. And we saw the industry evolving in a very kind of similar way. And and onwards we went. But what's interesting though is that you know, 
luck and being able to pivot and move in different directions is very helpful. Like, you know, a perfect example of that is about a year and a half ago, we thought we were going to build a new health insurance company. And we thought we'd build the health insurance company by starting with a telemedicine platform. And the reality is that, you know, we launched the telemedicine platform. It's called Dialogue. And within 12 months, Dialogue was the largest in the country. And so what's interesting is Dialogue this year will have more scale in revenues than Wellsimple and, and, and more employees. Uh, and in many ways has scaled significantly faster, uh, you, you know, despite, you know, not being as big of a brand. But it's because, you know, something that we thought was going to be a health insurance company ended up morphing into a telemedicine platform. And the demand for that product seemed to be so ripe that it just exploded. And today we're the leader in the country, attracted a large German VC to invest there. And that's actually the power, I'd say, of our incubator diagram, which, you know, in the last 12 months, we have launched five companies, uh, all of which are scaling at very, very rapid paces, simply because what we're able to do is connect these great entrepreneurs with capital and our network. And that really helps them scale very quickly and we get to invest in these platforms at a very low price given that we found them. And, and how fleshed out are these ideas when they come to your incubator? So we tend to come up with the ideas uh, ourselves in a kind of idea generation group. So what we tend to do is we'll spend $150,000 testing out an idea in the market. So for example, our, when we launched our insurance product, we first built a shell of a site, launched it, and saw how many people would just click on the button that says buy insurance. And that for us was a test of how much was it going to cost us to actually acquire a customer. And once we see that that has traction, we build out the product behind it and actually end up delivering something that works. And then we do limited tests. Uh, and we often find partners to kind of test things with us. And, and as soon as we see kind of market traction or validation that the business model works, that's when we make a seed investment, formalize the, the team, and launch the company. And so we've launched a digital life insurance product called Breed Life. We've launched a digital mortgage company called Nesto. We've launched an HR benefits company called Collage. We've launched a telemedicine platform named Dialogue. Amazing. Okay, so there's an idea generation group that comes up with these ideas. Yes, yes. How many people are in this group? It's actually a very small group. I mean, it's really led by Francois Lafortune, who's the CEO of Diagram, uh, and a few different members of that group. The reality is that the membership of that group actually tends to spin a lot because a lot of the people that come up with the ideas end up being so passionate about what they want to build that they end up joining the startup to build it. And so, you know, the person that came up with the digital mortgage concept and tested it, Damien is now a co-founder of Nesto Mortgage, uh, you know, and has left that group. And so, you know, ultimately for us, there are three things that are necessary for someone to become a founder. They need to be so passionate about the idea that they can't sleep. They need to be able to attract team members, so be able to attract a co-founder, and they need to be able to attract capital. And so as long as people meet those three requirements, we are very excited to, to, to partner with them in kind of building things. 
but the passion and not being able to sleep at night is very important. And how do you measure that? Literally, <laughs> it's, it, the key word for us is someone comes to us and it's like, I'm so excited about this. I can't sleep anymore. I need to do this. You know, the minute someone's thinking about, oh my God, like there, there's a trade off, like how about my compensation, you know, things like that. If someone comes to us and talks about compensation, they're not the right person. Like they need to be so passionate about what they're going to do that and nothing else matters. And then the reality is that we are very generous on equity compensation. Oftentimes the founder um, might not be the best leader for a company, yes. right? Which, which, which might be true. And in the case of, of Wealthsimple, that doesn't seem to be the case yes. where, where Mike is still leading mm -hmm. and, and the CEO of, of Wealthsimple. What qualities would... Does, does Mike have, for example, or do, or do other founders who are still the, the, the CEO of yeah. the organization, what qualities do they have that, that are most important? Yeah. So for me, for a founder to remain in charge for a long time, they need to really be good at a few things. One is they need to be humble because they need to, you know, respect all the different stakeholders. They have boards, they have customers, they have, you know, employees. You know, I think humility is very important. And you often see that when founders lose their humility, they end up going astray. Two is they need to be able to identify and surround themselves with great talent. And that is extremely important. You know, as you scale, the people you surround yourself with and are able to attract become more and more important. And then third is you need to be able to delegate because ultimately if you attract great talent and you don't delegate, they're not going to stay. And so being able to delegate is extremely important. And so I'd say those three things are very important. And then underlying that is the continued sense of mission and continued sense of being able to attract capital. Because ultimately, you know, if you're not able to convince a whole bunch of people that the mission you are on is important, you're just not going to be able to attract the right people. And I think that's, that's very important. And I'd say, you know, one, 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 one of the skill sets that I'd say Michael Katchen is very strong at is he's a very mission-driven entrepreneur. You know, he's also very good at delegating. You know, and so, but, you know, all entrepreneurs need to work on, you know, certain areas and including myself and including every CEO of every, you know, it's very rare to have a leader that has the complete package. And I think, you know, understanding that we are all flawed and we all have things to work on is really important in, in, in leadership period. Absolutely. And that kind of goes to your first point of humility, yeah. right? Like a humble person will, will, not, will forever be improving themselves because yeah. they never think they're good enough. Exactly. Right? Um, and they'll be surrounding themselves with talented people because yeah. they know their weaknesses exactly. right? to a certain extent. H how is the Canadian fintech space? Uh, I, I mean, obviously you've been a, a big player in, in growing it. Yeah. Uh, are you, do you continue to be bullish on it? What are your, yeah. what are your thoughts? Look, I mean, I am really excited about it. Uh, I think there's a few things that are pointing in, you know, the direction of bullish, bullishness. I think Wealth Simple today's growth is outpacing the investment management industry in a major way. You know, in the last quarter, I think a lot of the industry has been in outflows, and Wealth Simple has been in strong inflows. Today, Wealth Simple adds more customers on a daily basis than all of investors group combined. Uh, so I think that is a really kind of interesting statement of kind of pickup mm. and, and the demand. 
I think, you know, platforms like BorrowWell will have close to a million users by the end of the year in terms of free credit scores, uh, which is really interesting. Um, I think platforms like Coho are scaling very quickly and provide a real alternative to kind of day-to-day -day bank accounts. Um, and so I think these are all really great opportunities. And I think where the Canadian ecosystem will really shine is if a lot of these solutions figure out ways to work together and to collaborate and create, you know, take fintech from a world where everything was getting unbundled to a world where we rebundle. Uh, and I think being able to open a WellSimple account out of your co-account and get a BorrowWell loan, either either your WellSimple account or your co-account, is really the future of you know ca ca Canadian fintech. And is that something that you look at in terms of where you want to invest with with Portages? You know, how can these have synergies? How can yeah. these? In Canada, we are very, very, very focused on what we call an ecosystem view of investing, and so. We really want to play where we believe that by having this company enter the Portage ecosystem, it will become a, or will have a much higher chance of becoming a winner in the fintech space. And so, but internationally, I'd say our investments are much more focused on, you know, is this a standalone business and is it going to win its market? Yeah. Um, because ultimately, you know, financial services tends to be a local business. Um, and so you really got to win your domestic market. Uh, and so for us, we're very focused on picking entrepreneurs and companies that will win their domestic markets. And then from after winning their domestic markets, then take them global? Yeah, I mean, or not. Okay. I mean, in many cases, the domestic market has years of growth, you know, available. So. We, we've invested in the leading Greek auto insurance company. You know, before that business reaches saturation in Greece will be many years. Uh, Greek and its surrounding regions. So it's in Greece and now it's in Cyprus. Um, we've invested in the leading online distributor of insurance in Germany. That again is a company that, you know, has years of growth in Germany. Germany is one of the largest insurance markets in the world. And so you can create multi-billion dollar companies locally, even just in Canada. The reality is that WellSimple could scale to become a, a very large company just in Canada. You know, the reality is that we believe that being in a few other markets helped us be better as we compete against kind of stronger competitors. Um, but, you know, if we were just in Canada, that would also be an extraordinarily successful thing. Because you have you have a pretty unique view in that you know, even just within PowerCorp Holdings, yeah. you have a global allocation. Yeah. Uh, so you can you can see a number of companies, you can see yeah. everything uh, across the globe. Call it. So, what should Canadians be excited about? Like, what are you excited about for Canada? Why should an entrepreneur be excited here? Like, yeah. what? Do, what am I excited? I'm excited by the openness of Canada. The fact that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, you can come to Canada and build a life and have as much a chance of succeeding as anybody else. And that is what really excites me about Canada. And then you layer on top of that, you know, how in many new technologies, whether it be quantum, AI, blockchain, you know, Canada is a leader. 
um, and has played a role in those kind of areas. I think that is really exciting and it drives, you know, you, you know, a lot of opportunity. You know, on top of that, we happen to be a country that has a ton of natural resources, you know, great lifestyle, incredible safety. You know, it's a pretty great place to be. And so, you know, in a world where that is becoming more and more rare, um, I am extremely excited about Canada and, you know, really hope that as many people as possible come and live here. Uh, given, you know, how many different groups are within Power Corp, uh, do you try and establish systemic culture within the organization that rang true throughout the, organ the different groups? So I lead two businesses. I lead Portage and I lead Cigar Holdings. Uh, across those two businesses, I spend a lot of time on culture, values, mission, vision. Uh, we just did a kind of, we've done our second offsite where we spent significant amounts of time defining that. Um, and I think it's really important to you know, especially you asked earlier, you know, wow, you know, in three years, a lot has been accomplished. The reality is that the reason why that is possible is that I delegate a ton to people that I believe are great leaders. But in order to be comfortable delegating a lot, you need to be comfortable that everyone understands where we're going and by what means, i.e. what are our values, are we going to achieve those goals? And I think that's really important is to set very clear direction on course, and then very clear direction on what is expected in terms of kind of behavior and, you know, reputation uh, for us to achieve that course. When you try and bring those companies that you've invested in through Portage back into Power Corporate and, and, and into the fold um, and integrate them with your existing financial services companies, is that made easier by having that culture that you've defined? Or? You, you know, each one of our investments, when I'm speaking about culture, vision, mission, I'm thinking really just of the investment teams. Mm. The companies themselves, I believe that for them to be successful, the leaders there need to have a very clear view of what is their, what is their mission, what is their vision, what, is their, what are their values. Uh, and I think those need to be individual to each company. Uh, and, and ultimately, whether that fits into our broader group or not, I, I don't know. I mean, time will tell. But when we invest in companies, it is never with the idea that these will be owned by one of our subsidiaries. Interesting. Uh, and, you know, especially given that, you know, in our Portage Fund, we are actually raising money from outside LPs. So as a result of that, um, you know, the idea of investing in things so that they become part of our larger groups just doesn't work. Yeah. And, and you also mentioned that uh, Cigar Holdings. Yes. Um, now you have a Cigar Credit yes. fund that you've, you've launched there as well. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yes. Yeah. So the Cigar Credit business uh, was launched by Adam Vigna and uh, Mustafa Humayun, who were both at CPPIB. Uh, and basically they and uh, two of their other team members, Ben Lee and Josh Boris, came and joined my team and launched a private debt investment vehicle. That vehicle looks to uh, lend money directly to entrepreneurs or kind of small businesses to help them grow or grow through transformational events. And it's, it's, a, it's a direct lending business. Uh, we are going to close a $500 million fund over the course of July. Uh, that I believe will be one of the largest first-time credit funds in Canada. Uh, and so really, really proud of the team. Uh, they are, 
you know, fantastic. And, you know, we've already been able to deploy 20% of the fund across a few deals. Um, and I think it's really exciting. And I think that 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 is a business that over time we're going to scale significantly. Just when I think that you've <laughs> done everything, you, you mm. do something else. Like, How do you keep your, your time allocation appropriate mm. across all of these different ventures? Yeah. So w- what's interesting is that everything I do ends up being a little bit of the same thing. You know, essentially what I spend my time doing is matching people and capital to opportunities. And so it's all about finding people, finding the capital and matching it to an opportunity. And through that lens, whether it's venture, private debt, public equity, private equity, it's it's very similar. And then when you own these businesses or when you're a shareholder of these businesses, the challenges they face are very similar. I mean, if you look at you know, our Bauer Easton transaction last year when we privatized, um, you know, uh, PSG, you know, ultimately the challenges that businesses face is no different than Simple. It's about what are our priorities, where are we going to invest capital, who is going to be responsible for the action items that we have to do, and how do we evolve our business model given technological changes and regulatory changes. And so, Ultimately, whether it's a 600 million sales business or a 20 million dollar sales business, the fundamental challenges you face, I actually think are often very similar. And it's often about who, how, and when. Have you gotten better at that over time with more at-bats as you see more balls coming your way? Have you improved that skill set? You know, I am always learning. You know, it's just what's really fun about life is that, you know, things come your way that you're never expecting and there's always a learning opportunity and i'd say i try and get better every time i do something uh but you know it's not easy sometimes you make the same mistake twice yeah and do you you mentioned before that you have four kids i have four kids yeah you try and teach that that same lesson to your kids you know as well? i think the most important lesson for kids and for everybody in life is resilience is you know when you make a mistake, when you get knocked down, when you fail at something, you, you know you got to get back up. Because the reality is that if you never fail at anything, it means you're not trying hard enough. And I think that is really, really, really important. Is that if you are not failing, it means you're not trying. And so, and then the key is once you fail, get back up and go at it again. I have a feeling that um, your expedition to the magnetic north pole could be an example of of being humbled and and perhaps failing while you were training for that maybe or as you were on that trek can you tell me a bit about uh, about that you know the greatest moment in that expedition was my father and i were actually jointly pulling one of the veterans up a very you know very long hill and it took hours and hours and hours and we absolutely wanted to succeed and make it to the top ourselves but the two of us were getting exhausted and what was amazing is that another veteran came up to us and said hey let let me help let me plug in here and do it and you know we were like no 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 no. we can do it ourselves we can do it ourselves the reality is after about another hour, the, the other veteran plugged in and we actually shared the success of reaching the top of the hill, all four of us, you know, my father, myself, the, uh, the veteran that we were pulling, that, that was pushing himself up with his arms and the other veteran that kind of clipped in at the end. And 
being able to share a success with someone when you're, you know, you feel like your ego tells you you want to do it on your own, but your body's telling you I can't do it, uh, is really amazing. And 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 that was a great lesson for me, where like you can't let your ego not allow you to be generous and sharing success with other people. And you know, sharing success with others is often a greater success than just having it on your own. Absolutely. Well, I think that there, that's a, a, a pretty terrific place to, to end it. So, uh, Paul, thank you very much for making the time. Very much appreciated. Uh, and I'm sure our listeners will be just as, uh, as thankful. Thank you. And that was our episode with Paul Demmer III. Thank you to Paul for making that episode happen. This episode was produced by our digital marketing genius, Eugene McCashew. I am your host, Evan Sequeira. If you like this episode, please subscribe, like it, share it. We really appreciate all the support. For more information on Capitalize for Kids and the work that we do to improve the lives of children in Canada, please feel free to visit our website at www.capitalizeforkids.org.